Hey Manny, what are you having for lunch? I don't know. I had a savory waffle from Bites and Bowls for breakfast. It was so satisfying. Yeah, I heard they have great food at Bites and Bowls. I'm gonna order a sandwich and a salad from there. Great, order me a smoothie, please. Of course. Whether you're looking for breakfast or lunch, come to Bites and Bowls, a fun Latin-owned eatery in East Springdale. Hey everyone, and we're back with the District 3 Podcast. My name is Irvin. This is actually episode 107, recording directly live from the Springdale Civic Center. Joining us today, we have a uh, community leader. I like to call him a community leader. He's uh, Dr. Cesar Hurtado. Uh, Dr. Hurtado, thank you for joining us today. Uh, thanks for inviting me. And uh, there's a lot of things in common with me and you, Dr. Hurtado. Our, both, our families both come from, from Guanajuato. Okay. Um, I believe I read in an article that you're, is it from Taran? Tarandacuao. Tarandacuao, which is different from Taranda, isn't it? No, it's the same place. It's the same place? Tarandacuao is the same as Taranda. It's just Taranda is shorter. Oh, okay. Okay, well, that's news to me. I did not know that because I know that a lot of people come from Taranda, mm -hmm. but I did not know it was Tarandacuaro. No, no. Taran? Tarandacuaro, uh, it's a different place. Oh, it is? Yeah. Okay. So what's uh, this one called? It's just Tarandacuao. Taran, Tarandacuao. Tarandacuao. Do you know how far away it is from Acambaro, Guanajuato? Yes. Uh, 10 minutes, 15 Oh, really? Minutes. Okay. Yeah. That's where my family's from. My okay. dad uh, was born in Acambaro and my mom was born in Chupicuaro. So okay. whenever yeah. we go to Mexico, it's always Chupicuaro mm -hmm. that we go to. They have mm -hmm. big... Um, they have big parties there every oh, yeah. year. Mm -hmm. Right now, because of COVID, of course, yeah. things have calmed down. Yeah. But um, do you go over there often? Yeah. We, go, we try to go about every year. Okay. But it's been a little bit less often since the pandemic. school and pandemic. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about your story. I was telling you before we started this podcast today um, that your story is very powerful. And I think it's important for, for people in our community to, to learn about it. Uh, and there's also a lot of interesting facts, you know, like related to like breakdancing that you're also like <laughs> a former, I don't say former, right? Because you still kind of, you probably still, still try to practice. I, I can still get down. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, let's talk initially, your family uh, comes here from Taranda and, um, and you originally were, was it three or nine years old? I was nine. I was nine when I got here uh, from, from Taranda and do you come directly to Arkansas? Yeah, yeah, came directly here. So I, I saw on your story just because I was doing some research and I saw that um, that you came here undocumented. Yeah. yeah. And uh, of course, here in here in Springdale specifically, we have a, a big undocumented community f from Guanajuato. You yeah. know, from the area, specifically more from like Lecaja. That's the mm -hmm. biggest population. Um, so. Can you tell us, just based on, on kind of what you remember, because I know it's been a long time, um, how is the journey of your family here uh, from Tarandacuao to Arkansas? Well, there's actually three journeys, because we actually did it three times. Okay. But the first time I remember uh, just getting on my dad's car, telling us, hey, we're leaving Mexico, we're going to the U.S. I was nine, so I wasn't really... Uh, they knew what was going on. All, all I did was just uh, get on the car and drive off with my parents. Um, remember uh, driving away and our dog, his name was Whiskey, uh, just uh, chasing us. Uh, our, first, our first dog of the family. Uh, really, saw, really sad song in the background and that's when it hit me. I'm like, oh my god, we're actually leaving. Mm -hmm. But we left. Um, I remember going to Nogales. And that's where we we got together with a uh, with a coyote, mm -hmm. and from there we just um, I don't know what what else happened, but then we just ended up my mom, my two brothers, and my sister. We went with this guy, uh, walked across uh, the city of Nogales, and then jumped over jumped over a fence. Uh, I remember being kind of scared, but at the same time the coyote was kind of cool. He was mm. he would tell us jokes and tell us just act ask, uh, act casually. So that's what we did. Mm -hmm. uh, but whenever we came to um, jump on the uh, jump over the fence, mm -hmm. uh, I was able to crawl over, and then coming down, I couldn't see down. I was kind of kind of scared. I was like, "Mom, mom, mm -hmm. come help me!" And that was the scariest scariest point. But then um, I got down, and then we just kept walking. And he just told us, "Hey, walk walk normally like you belong here." Mm -hmm. So we walked, and then uh, we. Got to a car, got on the car, all got on the back of the car, and then drove off to a house. 
Wow. And so, then we just waited till the next morning when my dad came to the house and picked us up. So you did that three times? Yeah, that was the first time. Then the second time, we actually went through a different city. I believe it was Piedras Negras. Mm. Uh, and the third time was through Naco. Mm. Uh, I, may ha I may have them switched. Like, I don't remember it's exactly, but uh, it's been a while. But uh, one of those times, we actually crossed through the desert. Uh, it wasn't that big of a part of the desert, but uh, we, we crossed through it. We walked under a big fence, mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, was kind of kind of weird, going under a hole in the fence and then going underneath it. And then we actually crossed the, the river. Out of mm -hmm. all the times that we have crossed, we only did it once. Uh, we got on a, an inflatable canoe. And yeah. back then I was, I think it was the third time there was, uh, that we were crossing and during that time I was, we were all wearing baggy pants because uh, you know, yeah. back then we, my brothers and I would style. be big on wearing the baggy pants and um, I remember my pants got all wet and all, but none of those times were scary, to mm. me at least. Uh, I felt safe all of the time. Uh, I was with my parents and with my mom and my two brothers. So although it was a super sketchy thing to do, I never felt scared. Um, it was more like an adventure to me, uh, but I was still very young. I think the first time I was nine, the second time I believe I was 11, and then the third time I was 14 or 15. That's crazy. And that's interesting that you say that you weren't scared just because you know you hear all these different testimonies yes. of people that have different experiences, right? Yes. Like you were lucky because you I came here with your family, uh, and I think they, they might have been able to provide some sort of like uh like a safe environment for you mm -hmm. where you felt like you were good yeah uh there's people of course that that cross you know without their family and, yeah. and, and situations yeah. like that so yeah. and it gets and it gets really complicated so you all uh crossed the border um and you said you all came directly to arkansas eventually yeah or? they directly directly to arkansas because you know like sometimes people will like uh, go to California, mm -hmm. you know, and then stay there for a while and yeah. then someone tells them hey Yeah, th there's Tyson. There's Cargill. There's Georgie's over here. Mm -hmm. Come work and yeah. people move over So you came directly to Arkansas like what what was the the year that you first came here? 92 or 95 or 93 early 90s um, Initially my parents came here first my my dad uh, He did go to California. He did go to Chicago for some time, but then he somebody told him about Arkansas mm. Uh, about the, you know, small town, a lot of jobs, yeah, uh, cheap, cheap living. So we came down. He came down. Uh, he brought my mom one one year, and then they fell in love with the area, mm -hmm. and so they they're like, let's just bring the whole family here, and so we 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 came directly here, in a uh, trailer park in Rogers. Uh, that's where we in the in La Calle 17. I don't know if mm. there's a lot of people that would remember that place we call it La Trailas okay. that's where we all lived in the calle, calle is there a lot of brown people there? a lot it was mm. mostly all all Mexicans was it like the, the first Mexicans that were here? yeah it was, it, it was probably the first Mexican neighborhood in the area it was all trailers and um, when you moved here was uh, was also like a, a big part of the the community that was Latino were they like from Guanajuato? yes yeah we were for like the first um I feel like Guanajuato people are like the first settlers here in, yeah, in Arkansas yeah. that came here, you know? I yeah, a lot of people from my, from my hometown and from the surrounding cities like La Mora, San Jose, uh, all of those little towns, yeah. there's a ton of people from all, all over the place. El Puente, um, San Juan, a lot of people from there. So I read that you uh, that you didn't know any, any English when you got here and that uh, one of the persons that helped you was uh, Miss uh, Tina Howlett. Yeah, Miss Tina Howlett, yeah. During elementary school, they were, they were different people, but um, but yeah, uh, she was a big part of my uh, my learning experience in the U.S., her and also Dr. Uh, Dr. Worden. Okay. Yeah. So you, when when do you feel that you actually finally like learn English when you when you moved here? Like how, how, how long did it take you? I think I read something about how it, you, you adapted pretty quick and you learned pretty quick. Yeah, I feel like I learned very quickly, but at the same time, I feel like I'm still learning because sometimes I still have this really strong accent, but sometimes I feel like I'm still learning. But somehow I, uh, I was able to understand that quite, quite fast, uh, putting it in words, but that's what took me a little bit more time. But I feel like um, I never thought I was really that smart of a guy, but I feel like I picked up school quite fast mm -hmm. um, and did really good in elementary school, not so good in high school, but um, 
in college. I was that the like breakdancing days? Was high school the breakdancing days? It was the breakdancing days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that why you were distracted that you that you felt you didn't do good in high school? What's up? I don't know. It was just um, I don't know. I never really paid a, um, I never really uh, thought about doing anything. Mm. It was just uh, you know, family, friends, breakdancing. Uh, I, I I did have an interest in biology, so I even took an advanced biology class. But everything else. You know, I never really put much emphasis mm. or any 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 sort of effort into learning more or being better at this or that or whatever. Like so were you typing. were you undocumented in high school? Yeah, in two thousand, that's when we became documented. Okay. Yeah. And how were y'all able to do that? Was it through like family? Like in, is that how you were able to apply? For yeah, residency? my my dad applied early nineties, mm -hmm. so we can get our documents. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, oh, it just took that long. Yeah. The, the, it took uh, about seven to ten years for us to get our documents. Oof. So in, in like in ninety or ninety one, that's when he put in the application, and uh, we couldn't wait anymore. My parents had a need to. My mom wanted us to be with her here, and my dad wanted us to be here, and so we had to we had to do the crazy adventure to come here in the undocumented. So you, so what year in high school were you in when you became? documented or you graduated already i feel like i feel like i was in 11th grade 10th or 11th grade okay it was in 2000 so yeah well it was 11th grade did you have at that time did you even think about like uh once i graduate before you became a resident and when you were in high school did you think man if i graduate now like i don't even think i can go to college because it's gonna be triple the tuition i uh, that never came to my to my head when so I you were lucky right because you I became a resident right before you I even feel like I was extremely lucky because during that time in college in high school I mean in high school I never really even thought about going to college mm -hmm. there I it wasn't it wasn't in my, my, my mind I thought yeah. I knew I wanted to do something but I was never really that good at anything else other than just hanging out and playing video <laughs> games and breakdancing so so when does breakdancing come into your life breakdancing came in when I was in ninth grade in ninth grade, that's when I first saw uh, this guy from from Texas. He's still around. His name is Hector. Uh, he's the one that brought our breakdancing to to um, to Arkansas. And there was another guy who did who who breakdanced, but he was never really he never never really showed it. I didn't even know he danced until until we all got together one day at the uh, Rogers Activity Center, and um, they had a little battle, a little dance, and I saw it. My brother saw it, and we were like, Oh my God. We want to do this, <laughs> and so we just um, we picked it up and uh, started our own, our own group. Did you ever compete or anything? Yeah, yeah, you we did? competed. Yeah, well, initially we were called the uh, Aztec Breakers. Oh shoot! Uh, and so it was all Latinos, all Mexican kids in high school, a little bit through 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 um, through college, but then we started adding more people, uh, Puerto Rican, uh, Vietnamese. Mm -hmm. um, we had a, a friend from Trinidad and Tobago who was also in the group, so we couldn't be Aztec Breakers anymore. Yeah. So so we we got into a big meeting, not really that big of a meeting. <laughs> it sounds important. <laughs> sounds like a so we, White House meeting or something. So we so we changed the name to to uh, Breaking Habits, and that's how it's been oh, since cool. then. So so we're the the group still is still alive, but uh, not as active as as we used to be, and there's a lot of new the new generation, but uh, the old school guys are still alive and kicking. I kind of feel like like that culture kind of died down in the in, yeah. the in the years you know that came because I I don't really hear about people breakdancing now yeah. Yeah. especially locally you don't hear yeah. about that yeah locally it was just us you know yeah. there wasn't really that many uh, there for a while there was a few groups that formed but they never survived after high school uh, so do you also get group. together like and and actually sometimes dance? sometimes we do get together uh, the group the the active group right now they do they still go and go and. Um, and compete at places, but the the old school guys not not that much anymore. Have y'all ever thought about like doing some sort of like local event where y'all just yeah. dust off your shoes? And, yeah, like, there's actually an event coming up next oh, really? month. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I just found out about it. My friend, who, um, my uh, his name is Chun. He's a super cool guy. He's uh, he's been trying to keep it keep it alive. He's been mm -hmm. keeping it alive with with events and things like that. So so he let me know a couple of weeks ago that there, he was trying to make an event. Um, the 15 year anniversary of Breaking Habits. Uh, here so, or yeah. where? So here, here locally. Also, oh, it's gonna be a public event. Yeah, it's gonna be public. Hey. Um, and uh, a few years ago, we actually had events. Mm -hmm. uh, they were called the hospital, 
only the illest will survive. <laughs> so it was, uh, we uh, did it three years, yeah, for three right. years, yeah. Um, but uh, he was the main guy in charge of all that thing, and I didn't really help but much because I was in school and family and everything. But, uh, but yeah, we, 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 try, we try to stay alive with, with breakdancing. Like, do, do you all have, like, names? Like, like uh, nicknames for that? Yeah, mine, mine I, we never, you know, like, with a nickname, you never choose your name, they give yeah. it to you. So, since I went to medical school and everything, uh, mine was B-Boy Meds. I was about to say, you got to incorporate, like, doctor or something <laughs> yeah, in there, yeah. you know, to your When name. I first started, the first move that I was trying to learn was was the uh, the butt spin. Mm. And I would roll around, and I was chubby, chunky, and I was wearing black that day that we were all practicing. <laughs> so they started calling me 8-Ball. Oh, man. But uh, that, didn't, that didn't last long. That's good. Yeah. Because yeah. then that can, that can hurt our feelings a little I'm bit. glad it didn't. Uh, but it was, <laughs> it was all fun and games, you know, back in high school. I never took anything seriously. Yeah, yeah. It was all fun and games with the fans. So we'll, we'll make sure that once we see when y'all, if y'all put out a flyer or something, we can kind of share it on our social media. So yeah. if y'all do end up having, is it confirmed already that that event's going to happen? I think so. I think so. Um, but uh, they're doing the final the final things to, to get it done. Do you think you're going to teach your son? Or your daughters how to yeah. break dance? Yeah. Have you already started? Yeah. Do they know how to do it already? Or? They know some basic moves. Yeah. That's cool. You gotta pass. <laughs> you gotta pass that down because, like I said, it's like a dying culture. And yeah. If you don't pass it down to your kids, yeah. then who knows? Yeah. Like if it's gonna keep on living in the next few years, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, here in Arkansas, it is not very popular, but in big cities, it is quite popular. Like California, Texas, uh, big big states like that with big cities there. So there, it's quite alive. Chicago, okay. Miami. Oh, that's you know, it all the time. New York, yeah. Well, hopefully we see some sort of like uh, we see it come back to life over here in yeah. Northwest Arkansas. So hopefully the event, kind of the event that y'all have, will kind of bring will breathe life more into it. Um, so let's talk a little bit about where your passion for uh, the medical field started. Mm -hmm. uh, you said in high school you didn't really know, you know, like what you wanted to do. You were just kind of mm -hmm. riding the wave. Yeah. Um, you become a resident. Does that help in anything? Like, does that kind of be like, oh, I'm resident. I can, I should probably try to do something. You know, I wish I would, I could say that, but no, no, to, to be honest, I, I graduated high school. Um, I worked at McDonald's for a while, but then, um, it didn't last long. So I went to another job and it didn't last long. So I grabbed another job, um, you know, over the summer. Yeah. And, one day, it, it had kind of hit me. I mean, my brother was in college, and I knew I wanted to go to college, but I, was, I didn't really, I, I wasn't really that big into going to it. But then one day, I, in the middle of July, I was, you know, um, I had a shop shop vacuum, vacuuming, mm -hmm. uh, vacuuming rotten saws from the sewage in mm -hmm. the middle of the summer, in the heat. Oh. That saws had maggots, it smelled horrible. And I told myself, you know, I don't, this is not me. Yeah. No, I'm, I think I'm smarter than, than than sucking out rotten sauce from the sewage. Yeah. So I told myself, you know, let's just go check out college and see what happens. So so I went to college and um, I started that fall semester. I still didn't know what to, what I wanted to do. I didn't know I wanted to do medicine or anything. So I I was just to be honest, you know, I was just going through the to the catalog. I want to do <laughs> the fact that you're saying that sounds so crazy. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, I'm just going to be a doctor. I'm just going to yeah. be a doctor. Yeah, so <laughs> I was going through the catalog. My, the main thing that I wanted to do was I want to do a short career. I only want to be in school more than no more than three years and something that I will have a job for sure once I'm done. Yeah. And so I was like, graphic designer, sounds cool. I cannot sit down for more than three hours. Yeah. I need to be mobile. And then I saw paramedic. I'm like, oh, wow, paramedic. They ride in the ambulance, you know. They um, they pick up sick people. And they they get to see cool cool things. So I'm like, okay, that's what I'll do. Mm. And so I that's what I pursued. I became an EMT EMT basic. Then I went to the primary program there at the Northwest Arkansas Community College. Uh, in 2004, I graduated with an associate's in paramedic science. Uh, then I worked at Central EMS. How old were you when you graduated with I associates? Was 19. 19. 19 or 20. I okay. remember I wasn't 21 yet because I tried to get into the, into the fire department mm -hmm. and I couldn't do it because I wasn't 21 yet. Okay. Yeah, that's the only way I remember that I was like 19 <laughs> or 20. But but yeah, I graduated there and then I worked for Central EMS where I initially worked as an EMT because I had no experience in medical field. Yeah. They couldn't just let this guy fresh out of high school go to college, become a paramedic and 
do the whole paramedic job because we only did a few hours of clinicals and mm -hmm. didn't really do much so they couldn't let me do everything so yeah. so I had to work as an EMT for a, for about a year and then I passed the test I passed the in-service exam the whole thing with you know I hate to brag but with flight numbers you know it's was, okay to brag <laughs> you're, you're supposed to be yeah. proud of yourself I, and good. I didn't know I was I was capable of doing that so I was really proud of myself that I was I passed it with straight A's and you know did really good and then um, started doing uh, as a paramedic you know it was an incredible experience just being able to see somebody dying in front of me and being able to bring him back mm. uh, it wasn't all the time that we can bring them back but the times that we did uh, it was an amazing feeling somebody just taking their last breath doing CPR again and you know, putting a tube down their esophagus their, I mean their their throat not the esophagus you're not supposed to do it through the esophagus <laughs> but, I and then giving them medicine CPR you know epinephrine and all that all of that stuff or to bring them back and I sometimes it does work and you know we're bringing people back dropping them off in the ER and um, you know so when does the switch come when you're like doctor yeah interacting with with emergency room doctors uh, then telling me hey you did really good or hey uh, you know you need to do this better or or whatever you know they were all every time I would come and drop off a patient I would see that I would drop him off then they'll take care of him and then I was like okay well what happened did they survive what I did what I did was good what I did uh, made a difference and a lot of times it did and sometimes you know when somebody is way too far gone they're gone you know and we couldn't bring them back but there was other times that they were either you know really bad sepsis um, in, in shock or or you know congestive heart failure um, and sometimes you know when whatever I did in in the field really did help their outcome in the hospital and so I really wanted to know more like what happens in the hospital what happens after I drop them off what happens, uh, you know, the long-term effects um, to these patients. And so I started to talk to the emergency, emergency room doctors about, um, about, the, about the career. And then I was like, man, that, I think I wanna do that. But then I figured, oh my God, it's four more years of medical school, yeah. <laughs> then three or more years of residency. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna become a nurse. Mm. So I went back to school. Um, and I was just going to get one one credit at NWAC, my yeah. microbiology credit, and then I I'm done with that. Then I go to to the U of A, and I was like, okay. And so now I think I want to become a doctor now. So I switched it all up, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure until I met my my future wife then, mm -hmm. Maribel, um, and then I also met a whole bunch of friends there in college. I made uh, I got into the fraternity Fiora Alpha fraternity. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's what I remember. I think I remember. Yeah, I also. That's a little thing, another thing that I also did during, during college. But, um, but yeah, my, my last push, I was like 75, 80% sure that I wanted to become a doctor. And my wife was like, you know, if you want to do it, do it. Why not? I was 25, 26 when I, when I decided to do it. And I just went for it. What year did you get married? How old were you? Uh, I was, uh, we got married in 2012. I remember that I was an assistant for someone that was doing either, I forgot if it was video or photos of okay. your wedding. Okay. So I was at your wedding. So you were at my wedding. Also. I was at your wedding. I remember, <laughs> uh, I remember too much to be honest. It was, a, it was a crazy day, but I think I remember that you drove uh, like a really nice car. Yeah. Was it yeah. like a, it didn't have a roof. It was like yeah, a, a convertible. It was a, a convertible. A convertible Eclipse. Yeah. I remember like mm -hmm. the... Like, did you all arrive to the wedding in the convertible? You did, right? Yeah. It was, yeah. Like, was it red? Was it a red? Yeah, it was a uh, silver. Silver. Okay, silver convertible. Yeah, silver uh, Mitsubishi Eclipse convertible G4. Oh, you remember? GT. How, how old were you, you said? <laughs> I was tw early 20s in 2012. I was... Were you like 24, like 20, 25? 24, 25, 26. So you had just finished, like... Well, you hadn't just finished, but that's that's about the time that you decided that you wanted to be a doctor then, yeah. around the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And But when you were in medical school, when you were doing the residency, um, I forgot, did you already have children then? Yeah, yes. My first my first daughter, she's eight now. We we had her between my second and third semester of medical school. How, how like, I, I think I remember, I forgot when we became Facebook friends, me and you, but I remember that I've been Facebook friends with your wife a little bit longer. And I remember her uh, posting about you like 
I forgot if you were still in school or if you were doing the residency, and then you already had kids, and I was like, man, how did yeah. you do that? It's uh, <laughs> well, it wasn't it wasn't just me. I give I give her you know, yeah, most yeah. of the credit. She's the one that took care of them. But uh, but yeah, we got married, and then a week after that, we did a kind of like a slash honeymoon slash family trip to see. Uh, uh, her uncle that lived lived in Wyoming back then, I mean, in a city by Seattle, Washington, and so um, that was our little honeymoon slash uh, family family trip. But then we got back, uh, we found out she was pregnant, and then a week after that, I had to leave to medical school. Uh, and since I wasn't accepted to any U.S. medical school, I had to go to the to the Caribbean, a small island called Dominica, not Dominican Republic, Dominica. Is it close to it? Is it close it's, to the Dominican Republic? It's a, it's a little bit far. It's a few islands down. Because you got the Dominican Republic, and then you have uh, uh, St. Martin, mm. uh, Guadalupe, and it's right a little bit down there. So is it like a nice place where, like, kind of like a vacation spot kind of place, or is it kind of... It's, um, it's a beautiful place if you stay in the natural part of it, like the beaches, the forest, the trails, the waterfalls everything is, is, is that where you is were beautiful at? yeah but then the human aspect of it is like a third world country oh, okay. a little dirty not very not very rich not a lot of tourism going on in that island okay so you were there for how long i was there for 15 months yeah 15 months that's a lot of yeah. time that's a lot of time yeah. to be in school every semester like the the way that school was it was like an accelerated program because mm. the first two years is it's all about books powerpoints studying passing tests and then the next two years of medical school is clinicals and still having to do a whole bunch of tests but the first two years is all books powerpoints lectures and so instead of doing it in two years we did it in 15 months Oh man! And we only had like two or three weeks in between each semester, and so between my second and third semester, uh, that's when I had a small little, a little bit of a break, and that's when my daughter was born. So at that at that point, does it does your kind of like your motivation change now? It's not more about just you becoming like a, a doctor now. It's like yeah. I got a family. Yeah, you know, no, it's, a, it's like for their future kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, I have a family. I have a wife. Um, I have a baby daughter, and I need to I need to pass this. Yeah. Extremely hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Going to this island far away from everybody I know. Because uh, you didn't live with any family at all, right? No, like, I was there by yourself? myself. The oh. first semester I was there by myself. And then my wife came for a little while when she was pregnant. Yeah. But then she, she was only there for uh, for about a month and a half. And then she left. And then the rest of the the rest of the time I was there by myself. Damn. And so, so in my mind, my mindset when I went there... I was like, I'm just gonna come here. I'm just gonna do my thing. I don't care about friends. I don't care about anything. But I ended up making some of the best friends I have. Mm. We still, still keep in, in touch. We still keep in touch. Yeah, that's we have a Facebook um, chat group that we, that we still keep in touch. <laughs> well, that's cool, man. Because I mean, that's I don't know. Like I, I when I look at it, it's like how do how do you do that? You know, like that's a lot mm -hmm. of sacrifice. I think. Yeah, sacrifice is like the best word to mm -hmm. to describe it, especially being away from mm -hmm. your from your away wife. Away from my wife, from my family away from salsa valentina tortas tacos Ooh. everything Damn. so yeah but another really cool thing i did in over there you know once again i don't want to brag but brag, brag. i kind of i kind of quit breakdancing during that time yeah but i was alone i had just one or two friends so i started picking up breakdancing and by the end of my four semesters there i had a breakdancing group oh with with five people there and we even did a sh uh, like a show there and we won second place i believe in the talent show oh man so yeah it was, it's kind of cool we're gonna do you have any video of that i actually do have we need video. to we need yeah. to put some on that some of that video on the social media so people can kind of get a visual mm -hmm. you know of i you, have to show you I of you dancing you. <laughs> yeah a whole um, bunch of doctor kids there doing um uh doing uh, some break dancing moves there <laughs> that's so cool um so you when, is it 2019 or 2020 when you become officially a doctor? Uh, when I became an officially a doctor was in 2016. Oh, 2016. When I got my MD in mm -hmm. 2016. And then I started residency that same year. Oh, it's the residency. Yeah, the residency okay. from 2016 to 2019. Was that in Maryland? Uh, the residency was here in Arkansas, in Arkansas. with the with AHIC program. Okay. Yeah. So now you're where you actually practice. It's like five minutes away from the studio where we're at right yes, now. Yes. Yes. Um, and is what's the full name of the of the location? It's a uh, Northwest Northwest Health. 
And I think it's just quite crazy because you're like in the cent- you're like right in the center of like the community that needs you in a way. When you think about it, it's yeah. like that area of Springdale. That's the that's the area that has the biggest Latino population. Yes, a bunch of people from Guanajuato mm-hmm. live in this area. Um, have you ever taken a like a, a step back and be like, wow, like what I'm doing right now, you know? And, and it's not even about bragging. It's just kind of like it's making a positive impact. Yes, yes. In people, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I can I can talk about this because she's my wife. So um, my wife started going to you mm-hmm. uh, while she was sick. She had gastritis issues and gallstone issues and a bunch of a, a bunch of issues. Mm-hmm. And I referred her to you mm-hmm. because um, when she was having all these issues, having trouble breathing, um, uh, we were going to doctor to doctor. And I was like, you know what? I don't know uh, Doctor Hurtado that good. You know, I I know he seems like a good guy. He's he's you know Latino. And he's, and I think um, he's really young too. And, and I think he can, he can possibly, you know, uh, take care of you medically in a way where maybe other folks that are not Latino, cause there's, there's some stuff, for example, you know, there's, I feel like there's some certain medical issues that uh, happen a lot to Latino people. Oh yeah. And when you go to a doctor that's not Latino, sometimes they don't even look at mm-hmm. that or they don't even question it or bring it to people's attention and i've and i've noticed that with you when we've gone to you mm-hmm. like you've been able to say hey you know what about if it's this we should get tested yeah. for this um like do you do you hear a lot of stories of people that that come from other doctors that are like oh, okay like quite often way too often to say yeah a lot of times especially with the language barrier and, and man like one thing i've look I love I love medical people. I love people in the medical field. I have so much respect for doctors and everything, um, but I think it's important to realize that specifically for Latina women, and I'm pretty sure for Black women too. Um, I've realized that through the medical field, a lot of the times, uh, Latina women like their concerns and stuff are not taken as seriously when it when we go mm-hmm. to other other uh, doctors. You know, yeah. I, with Myra, for example, we went to mm-hmm. multiple doctors and. And uh, we had concerns, and they weren't taken as seriously as we wanted them to. Mm-hmm. But whenever we went with you, it's like we felt that you took them seriously, and that you were like, maybe it's this we should get tested for this. Mm-hmm. And for her, that meant like yeah. so much. And I yeah. think it actually helped in her recovery yeah. to be yeah. taken seriously. Yeah, yeah. And um, is that something that you see as well that people yes. aren't being taken seriously of their concerns? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I see. I see that a lot. Yes. And what what uh, when you see that? Um, what's your what's your action like what's your first actions what do you what do you do do you do you do you try to like tell folks from the get-go like hey i'm gonna listen to your concerns and then i'm gonna tell you what i think you might have yeah 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 pretty much the way i learned medicine is is to not um tunnel in into a diagnosis uh listen to the patient uh and you'll be surprised how many times a patient has, has told me that their doctors don't listen to them and so my thing is, you know, I'm there to listen to the patient. I'm there to listen to their complaints, um, but at the same time, not listen to a lot of the extra stuff that's not needed, just to the most important stuff. And then seeing how they live, uh, what they eat, um, you know, their background, and then telling them, okay, uh, you know, I th- really think you have this, but it's possible that you might also have this. So let's let's do a little work up here and let's write out let's try to find out what's going on and then uh, if it's something obvious yeah of course if it's something something obvious I'm like you have this you know let's just treat this and and you know call it good but if it's if it's not very um, you know not a hundred percent sure this is what your diagnosis is you know there's this 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 thing we call the differential diagnosis where there's you know we have number three number three number four, number four you know the list goes on and on and then we we go for the most common things because you know we are common people uh, common diseases, common disorders, common common happen to the common people, so so we don't need to be searching for those rare things, uh, yeah. you know, from the get go. Because you know you're gonna have a patient with a bill of a ten thousand dollar bill yeah. that's unneeded. So 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 we start with the most common thing, and and the way I practice it is that I try to keep it as cheap as possible at time as well. Because you know we don't know if your insurance is gonna cover this medicine or if your insurance is gonna cover this 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 lab this x-ray this imaging so so i try to keep it as, as simple as possible because we also need to understand that a lot of patients don't understand all this medical jargon so i, yeah. I also keep it simple 
when I explain to them, this is what's probably going on, we need to try to find out what's going on, and this is what we need to do. You know, I, I see so many times that people do not take their medications because doctors, other doctors give it way too complicated, especially with insulin. Insulin can become, yeah. can be extremely complicated, taking, uh, you know, four doses a day, sometimes even more, and, uh, and, and seeing this, uh, you know, 70-year-old Latino who doesn't even speak English and having a doctor telling them they need to inject themselves with insulin five times yeah. a day, you know, that's not going to happen. So, so, yeah, a big thing is that we need to keep our treatment as simple as possible and treat the most common things at the same time as well. Yeah, because I know that with, with Myra specifically, like I said, we can talk about this because we have our permission. Yes, yes. Myra's been public about it. Uh, one of the things that you brought up was uh, doing like a H pylori Yeah, H. pylori test. is very, very common in Latinos. You see, but then we go to like a doctor that's not Latino mm -hmm. and you really don't hear that. We, we weren't hearing those kind of suggestions, even yeah. though it wasn't that. Uh, that's something that like, for example, my sister had yeah. a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. and um, and I think it's it's important and I think it means it, it, I know that for example with with Myra um, she had a lot of anxiety and mm -hmm. you saw her at her worst yes. uh, when she was really anxious and, and you were you were very good at like making sure that you were gonna do everything you could to yeah. to make her feel better and to and for her to get better um, but I just think about the people that don't have access to those kind of doctors mm -hmm. yeah you know don't have uh, we went to so many places where our concerns were just kind of like, well, we think it's this, and I mean it might not be it, but like, but there needs to be there needs to be more empathetic yeah. doctors. Yeah. And, and Myra has told me about this herself. She's like, when you're a doctor, uh, literally people are putting their their lives and and mm -hmm. their care in oh, your yeah. hands, and mm -hmm. and if you don't show them like that that empathy and show them that you really care about them, that they're just not another uh, bill, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, it goes a long way, mm -hmm. specifically oh, yeah. for someone yes. that's, that's suffering with anxiety. Mm -hmm. if, if they see that their doctor is like someone that's confident and, and really cares about them. Um, and I don't know if that's talked about enough in the medical field, uh, because I've, we, there are a lot of people that, you know, have bad experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm, I'm really grateful that there's people like you that are, are empathetic and, 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 you know, think about those things mm -hmm. like about making sure that that they try their best to not give the biggest yeah. medical bill to someone mm -hmm. because medical bills are insane yes they are and you know myra and i are blessed to have insurance but mm -hmm. the folks that don't yeah yeah like having to endure the pain that they have because they're afraid of a medical mm -hmm. bill i had i had two two teeth removed mm -hmm. last week and the to if i didn't have insurance mm -hmm. it was gonna be like over a thousand dollars for two teeth oh yeah and because i had insurance it was like three hundred dollars mm -hmm. yeah when i had my wisdom teeth removed you know i had all four of them removed i ended up paying three hundred dollars i see the uh the bill five thousand dollars i'm like why am i gonna you know <laughs> <laughs> and they told me they were like they were like we can put two crowns uh, two white crowns in in you and but the bill's gonna be like four thousand yeah. dollars and uh, luckily with insurance, you know, you're able, it's able to help out a lot. But the people that don't have access to it, that's, that just, that, that tears me apart. Like, it's yeah. just so, and, and, and a lot of the times I bet when people go to you, uh, people that don't have insurance, it's like the last resort. It's like, mm -hmm. I'm dying here. Yeah. Like, yeah. please help me. And, um, and I, I really appreciate, you know, how you react to, to, to patients and, and the care that you, that you give them. Um, so how has, you kind of started not started specifically uh, in the medical field, but you finished your residency and you kind of came into this whole like pandemic era, mm -hmm. right? You start yeah. with COVID, COVID originated, I guess, in, was it like late 2019, but really came about in early 2020. Yeah. Um, how have you adapted to the pandemic as a, uh, a doctor in a state where, you know, the pandemic's running pretty rampant here? Mm -hmm. Like how have, what, what have been some of the kind of, things that you've had to do to um, take better care of your patients or at least advise them during this pandemic? Um, yeah. I know that's a very, like, <laughs> that's a big question with, it can go a lot of different mm -hmm. ways, a lot of factors, but I just kind of want to hear your thoughts on that as a doctor. Yeah, yeah well, there's, um, as you already know, there's a lot of really good information out there, but then there's also really, really bad information out there. So what I tell my patients, I tell them, don't dig into things too much. Just trust the scientists, trust science, 
and uh, and you know this is a virus that's you know unpredictable yeah. you know millions of people can get infected have gotten infected some of them without any symptoms they do fine others are extremely sick end up dying in the hospital having a whole bunch of uh, sequela from from the illness and so it's it, a lot of times it's unpredictable uh, there's not much uh, that we can do about it I mean there's a lot of medications that we can do but none of them really target the virus uh, unless you're in the hospital and you're getting specialized more specialized care but on my part I do outpatient uh, I also do it patient sometimes but not that often but in my clinic you know I follow what the science says I follow what evidence based medicine says yeah. which is you know masking social distancing washing hands you know cover your cough all those things uh, also a healthy lifestyle you know exercise stay hydrated uh, eat a lot of fruits and vegetables you know well-balanced diet uh, because if you have a good strong healthy body your body's gonna take care of you when you get sick yeah. uh, if you eat, eat a whole bunch of junk food you don't take care of yourself you you know, if you get sick with the virus, you're most likely gonna get sicker uh, mm. compared to somebody who's healthy. So, I, uh, you know, there's a lot of evidence-based medicine, evidence, evidence that the vaccine works. The vaccine is, is the best thing we have at this time. Yeah. And so I urge everybody to get their vaccinations. You know, it's been approved uh, by, by, uh, by science, by, by doctors, by everybody. The FDA too. By the FDA. So that was what I was trying to get. But I yeah, the, I was like, uh, I just help you right there. So Pfizer's been approved by yeah, the FDA. Yeah, and um, you know, with this, with this Delta right now, uh, I've been following it. Uh, it's quite scary working in it, but you know, it's, um, you know, right now, thank to, thank, thank, thanks to God, you know, uh, cases are going down, but there's still a lot of sick people out there. I see that and the hospital so, has hospitalizations are also going down yeah. in this in the state. I yeah, hear. I check I check quite often the uh, the cases and uh, looks like uh, we're going down on the cases. Uh, but uh, that's a really good thing. But it's not just because of increased vaccination. It's also because there's you know we went back to masking. We back, went back to taking care of, of ourselves a little bit more. But then again, you know we have sporting events. We have. Uh, yeah. You know, restaurants, we have bars, we have everything that's back open again. Yeah. Um, uh, and one thing that we need to recognize as well, you know, you know, everything has become so emotional that, uh, you know, people fight each other, they see each other, uh, you know, in a bad way, if they're wearing a mask or if they're not wearing a mask, mm -hmm. if they're vaccinated or non-vaccinated, you know, um, we, need to, we need to respect uh, each other and understand that our body can make uh, take care of itself by making you know antibodies uh, you know memory B cells memory T cells that remember the infection so even if you've been infected um, you know we call it in the wild you know you you've been infected with your either a mild case or a or a um, you know a really moderate to severe case you know your body has some sort of immune we don't know yeah. how much of an immune but there is some immunity when you get the virus you know, you're least likely to get it again, um, which the vaccination also does. You know, you get uh, the vaccine and, and your body makes a reaction. Sometimes patients, you know, can get it really bad, others not bad at all. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I say it again, it's unpredictable. Yeah. You don't know if it's going to just be a mild ache or you're gonna be, you know, fever, or there's this thing that we call myocarditis, but there's a little bit yeah. of inflammation in the heart. You know, that, it has, that <coughs> has been proven. That's the only thing that has been proven that vaccination caused. But um, there's a lot of people that blame the vaccine on everything. You know, they say, um, you know, they got the vaccine one or two months ago, and then they um, they get a heart attack or a stroke or whatever. Um, and then the first Could have been their is, diet too. Yeah, and they're like, let's blame the vaccine. Let's yeah. blame, uh, I got the vaccine, so that's probably why I have a heart attack. But they don't look back and they say, "Oh, I also have diabetes. I also have high blood pressure. I also I also ate this like big yeah. big pizza like yeah. <laughs> three yeah. days ago." Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So 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 based on the science, the vaccine works. Yeah, it's the best thing we have. Uh, there's new there's new technology going on uh, to take care of this as well. But that's the best thing we have. Um, you know, uh, if you've been infected in the past. Uh, and you, you haven't been vaccinated, you know, you don't need to take get both vaccines. You can just take one. It will yeah. be kind of like a booster. 
if you've never been infected, you know, getting the two vaccinations is, is, is recommended. Yeah. Um, if you're against vaccinations, I respect it. Just follow the guidelines to hopefully if, if you don't get, if you get, or if you get sick, hopefully, you know, hope, uh, you know, pray to God that you won't be a severe case, that you'll just be, you know, a, a mild case and yeah. survive this thing. But uh, we have seen a lot of people in the hospital unvaccinated, intubated, you know, dying. So, it, well, the hospitals here in Arkansas a few weeks, well, a few months back, uh, I think it was like 98% of the people that were like yeah. in ICU yeah, were 90. unvaccinated. Yeah. So it's just kind of like the information's out there. Mm -hmm. And obviously uh, you can see the numbers, mm -hmm. you can see the, the data yeah. that mm -hmm. people that are vaccinated are as likely to be yeah. in the ICU. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's still people who are vaccinated end up in the ICU as well, but mm -hmm. the numbers are way, 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 way lower. Maybe yeah. 5%, okay. you know. You can see the science, you know, you can see the evidence, you can see the numbers in the hospital data. People who are severely ill, most likely 90% of them are, are gonna be unvaccinated people. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people don't see it. Uh, the data sometimes can be a little bit hard to understand, but you know, to keep it as basic as possible, the vaccine has saved so many lives. Yeah. You still can get sick with with the, if you've been vaccinated, but you will not be as sick. Yeah. It's kind of like the shingles, you know, the shingles vaccine. You know, yeah. some people get it, some people don't. If you get the shingles vaccine, most likely you, if you get shingles, it won't be as bad. Yeah. But if you get shingles without the vaccine, shingles is if anybody who has ever had shingles, they can tell you that it hurts, okay. and it can hurt for quite a long time. I've look, I've never before this pandemic besides the vaccines that you would get at school to, mm -hmm. to be able to go to school, I never got a vaccine. Mm -hmm. I never did the flu vaccine and it was misinformation Yeah, because of misinformation. Because mm -hmm. you're, this is what you hear in specific Latino communities, you get the flu vaccine, like you're just gonna get sick. Yeah. Like it's gonna make you sick. So yeah. what's the point of even getting the mm -hmm. vaccine if you're gonna get sick, mm -hmm. if you're trying to stop yourself from getting yeah. sick? Yeah. But that's the thing, that's the thing where we don't understand uh, you know, I'm gonna honestly say the the flu vaccine is not that great. You know, yeah. I'll say I'll tell you that right now. It only protects you about maybe 25 to 30 percent. Mm. Uh, but still, if you get sick, you wanna get sick. Yeah. And that's what the vaccines do. They they don't protect you from getting sick. They protect you from not getting as sick and end up in the hospital. Yeah. There are some that do uh, prevent you from getting you know polio. You know. When have you seen a case, a polio case? Never, yeah. because the vaccine works. True. Chicken pox, no. Yeah, I had chicken pox when I was a, mm -hmm. a yeah. little kid. It was not a fun experience. No, it's not. <laughs> so, oh, you had them too? Mm -hmm. When you were a kid too? Mm -hmm. did, did your parents ever put you like in, they put me in like a tomato juice or something? Yeah, they, they put me on a bathtub. You know, in Mexico, they, yeah. they have these metal tubs, a cubeta, yeah, yeah. una tina. Where you take showers and yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah, they put me on that uh, with water and some sort of, Molding, I don't know. <laughs> they like I was like five years old and I got the chicken pox and there was kids looking at me mm -hmm. and my dad put me like in a big old like a uh, tub and they threw some sort of like tomato juice on me with like a ajo and stuff. Yeah. And uh it took it away. I did mm -hmm. like I have three marks though on my mm -hmm. side of my on my head still from when mm -hmm. I was five years old. The chicken pox mark stayed on yeah. my it makes it look like I'm like uh you know how like gangbangers have yeah, those the, three dots that you kill oh, someone? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It makes it look like that but it's just chicken pox marks <laughs> that I have on yeah, me. Yeah. Um I so actually, I had a, a mark here in my elbow, in my inner part of my elbow. Yeah. I could a big old hole and I could see like the muscle. The oh. muscle. He he was the most painful part. I got it really bad here on my on my on my From elbow. the chicken pox? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But he got cured and it's gonna worry, but I remember uh, we were in Mexico de Efe. Uh, we were there for a party, and I'm sorry, mom and dad, I messed up the party for getting chicken pox. Ooh. Yeah, so you got like dots all over you. Yeah, I was, I was, I was sick. Yeah, yeah. Man. Those, those are some scary times. Mm -hmm. uh, chicken pox times were. Um, so, any advice to any undocumented person or just immigrant person in our area who wants to become a doctor who might see it as impossible at this moment? It's, um, you know, my only advice is that if, you, if you're good at something, if you have dreams, if you want to pursue a career, or if you want to, you know, do something uh, to better yourself, do it. You know, don't be afraid of, 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 of failing. Don't be afraid of, uh, of, of your student loans. Uh, if you have a dream, pursue it. That's what I did. Sometimes I look back, I'm like, oh man, my student loan is horrible. Yeah. But 
what's done is done. Uh, I got my MD. Nobody's is gonna take that away from me. True. Um, and uh, I'll eventually pay those student loans. President Biden, if you're hearing, please. <laughs> so you yes, need to yes. <laughs> you need to help out with those student loans because yeah. I mean, uh, specifically, I feel like uh, you know people that are going and working in communities like you're doing deserve some sort of support with their mm, with those loans yeah. you know because they they can be pretty debilitating yeah 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 one thing that i would like uh you know if the government or the people who make all these taxes you know we go all through medical school residency living with minimum wage and you know yeah you know living as cheap as possible then you become a doctor and they start paying you good money but then you don't get to enjoy it because you have the student loans you have to pay off yeah and so if they could just withhold a year or so, <laughs> or they can just, or if they can forgive some of yeah, it, you know, yeah. I mm -hmm. think that would help out yeah. a lot of people in yeah. our. In well, our they do have the student loan forgiveness is if you work for a nonprofit or out in the, in a county or you know, a different place. Um, but there's still a lot of people out there that yeah. need some need some sort of help. So if yeah. you're listening, uh, help Dr. Cesar Hurtado, <laughs> please, with his uh, student loans. Um, and once again, where can people, if they want to, uh, reach out to you about you know you becoming their their uh, their doctor? Where where can they? Do you know the number of, of the of the building where you work at? Yeah, yeah. The uh, the address is 2158 Butterfield Coach. Uh, we are local. If you're better with uh, with visualization. We are in the intersection of Robinson and Butterfield Coach. Uh, this, uh, we are right in front of the uh, neighborhood Walmart. Uh, also next to Arvest. Right next to Arvest. Um, the clinic uh, is right there. It says uh, Northwest Health, uh, Urgent Care, and also Primary Care. Uh, we do both. Uh, I see everything from, from babies to, to adults. Mm -hmm. And I can see you for any sort of uh, chronic illness like diabetes, hypertension, Hyperlipidemia, um, and also I can see you for an acute illness like gastritis, uh, pneumonia, you know, sinusitis. Uh, you know, we were there for a while. We were the only uh, Northwest clinic in this area that was doing COVID testing, and we were doing it outside in the parking lot. But uh, but now we we kind of just uh, started doing it inside. But there's still clinics doing it outside. But um, but yeah, we will we will see you with anything you have. Uh, unless it's an emergency, if it's an emergency, you know, go to the ER because, you know, <laughs> we are limited to what we can do in our little clinic there. Well, Dr. Rothado, thank you for joining us today. Uh, I think, like I said at the beginning, I think your story is, is, is super important and I think it's going to make a, a very good impact in our community for people to, to hear, you know, what you've been through and then what you're doing right now. And if you don't have a doctor yet, reach out to Dr. Hurtado's office. And uh, I can tell you from, from our experience, it's one of the best decisions we ever made. Uh, my wife will tell you that too. Um, he's a very good doctor that's very empathetic and, and really cares about his patients. And that goes a very long way. So thank you for being here, Dr. Hurtado. Thank you for me. That's the end of episode 107. We'll catch you all next week. Thank you all for listening and peace.